actual experience exceeds all expectations. This morning, the organizers of the failed fire festival are feeling the heat. Go back to the tent. These tents are a disaster. The beds are all wet. Basically, everything is a wreck. There's a sign that says you have to limit your shower to five minutes. You know, all the celebrity attachment to these things is going to have to need a lot more lawyers, I think. And he apparently raised a glass of champagne and like, okay, let's do it and I'll be legends or something like that. Take several hundred millennials, an island in the Bahamas, a few swimming pigs, cheese sandwiches, and 24 hours of chaos ripped from Lord of the Flies, and you get one of the biggest memes of 2017. In this episode, we dig into the Fire Festival, and it's lessons about the growing influence of social media marketing. Hi, I'm Molly Schreiber. And I'm Larry Vincent, and this is The Findings Report. I could listen to stories about Fire Festival for days. I mean, it was my favorite train wreck of 2017. So just to refresh everyone's memory, the Fire Festival was supposed to be an ultra plush music festival that would take place on an island in the Bahamas. Like Coachella meets Tropical Paradise. Exactly. Except it didn't turn out that way. No, it was more like Survivor. Turn around. Turn this bus right around. I never thought I'd say that. The organizers led by a 25-year-old super-confident promoter named Billy McFarland. Well, let's just say there wasn't a lot of organizing. William McFarland, who created and founded the event with rapper Ja Rule, arrested and charged with wire fraud by the FBI Friday. Nothing was ready when ticket buyers started arriving on the island and just about all of the scheduled bands canceled because they hadn't been paid. This includes acts like Blink-182. And then Twitter and Instagram lit up because everyone was tweeting out photos of their cheese sandwiches and their luxury tents that were actually little Boy Scout style tents. And it was great. And then not long after everything happened, I come across this story about a young filmmaker who's making a documentary about the Fire Festival. His name is Nico Quinones. Really what caught my eye attention, like everyone else's, was the ad. The actual experience exceeds all expectations. It is something that's hard to put in words. All these things that may seem big and impossible are not. It gives people that type of energy. That type then I saw it and it was working on, it must have been working on me in the same way as it worked on everyone else. It just looked so exclusive and all this stuff and just had such a draw. But then when I thought it through, I realized, you know, I'm a Miami kid. A lot of us had been, gone to the Bahamas a bunch of times. The Bahamas, this island didn't have running water. <laughs> All right, I came into the story after everything went down, so I didn't actually see the ad until after we talked to Nico. And it's amazing. I mean, they plugged it as Pablo Escobar's former island, and there are speedboats on gorgeous Caribbean waters, and there are private jets. It's just, I mean, it's crazy. And it seemed too good to be true, and that's because it was too good to be true. And don't forget the big attraction. Hang out with the swimming pigs, hang out with all the, you know, there's like some pigs that are stars on Instagram that were there, and then Emrata's there, and the Hadid, Bella Hadid is there, and, these, and you know, Elsa Holsk was there, who was a Victoria's Secret model, with all these people. So they they had, they had really brought a serious amount of social media influence to this ad, and they did the ad right. There was no expense spared or nothing spared on this ad. There was private jets. There was jet skis. You were just thinking, this is the coolest thing ever. Notice who was in the ad. They were all big social media influencers. That was the draw. This ad was catnip for their followers. 
And that was the aspect that inspired Nico to make Under the Influence, which is really a documentary about the rising power of social media in our lives. He makes a great case and he kicks it off with a great way because he interviews victims of the festival right as they're getting off the planes from the festival. And you know what I love about that? He lowers their defenses and he gets them to open up about their addictions to social media because he wasn't interested in the TMZ style snarky coverage. Of course, these folks, you know, they thought he wanted to tell them about the horror of eating cold cheese sandwiches or the tragedy of rich kids losing their 10 grand or whatever. No, let's talk about why you went to Fire Festival. And when that transition started to happen in these interviews was when I was inspired because I changed the conversation to what does it mean about our cultural time and place? that this is the type of stuff we're doing. People want to go where other people want to go. They don't know why they're going there. They just know that, well, this person who I admire or like their life or went there must be sweet. It's almost validation that they were able to be there, somewhere that they're supposed to be, somewhere that's supposed to be cool. It's a validation on their own life. It's a validation of their own life. Oh my God, it is so sad that an Instagram ad should validate you. This can get really dark really fast. And you met Nico. I mean, he's not dark and gloomy. He's this young, energetic guy. But he did see fire as a morality tale about our culture. And the people who influence culture. There's a line in the trailer about each of these influencers having the reach of a major brand. So this is exactly why I think it's worth us doing this show. I think a lot of us in the marketing trade are beginning to understand the reach. Uh, when you combine the followers of Bella Hadid, Emily Ratajkowski, Elsa Hosk and the Swimming Pigs, you wind up with an audience of more than 35 million people. Now, just to give you some perspective, you added up the primetime audiences of the five major television networks in the U.S. You'd only get to about 31 million people, according to Nielsen. So three supermodels and some swimming pigs reach more people than five TV networks. Wow. And the reach is only part of the power because these influencers, look, they don't connect with their followers the way that TV networks connect with their audiences. Think about it. A whole lot of the followers took a leap of faith on the Fire Festival based on the presence of influencers in an ad that ran only on social media. To understand how this happened, I reached out to an expert. Hi, I'm Linda Ong. I'm the Chief Culture Officer at Civic Entertainment Group. That's a great title. What is a Chief Culture Officer? What we do really is look at what's going on in culture and analyze how brands and people can use that to understand what makes something relevant what makes something authentic, really communicate in the native language of whatever culture they're speaking with. Okay, I've known Linda for a while. Every time I meet with her, it's like Alice in the Looking Glass. We go down a rabbit hole of insights, and I exit seeing the world a little differently, which is why I asked her to have a chat with us. She and her team, they sift through lots of cultural artifacts. We're talking media, products, consumer rituals, and they sort out what people are doing, why it matters, and how marketers can act on that. And here's Linda's take on what's going on with influencers. It starts with the mindset of their followers. These are kids who have been really grown up, literally, you know, helicoptered and managed to death and very much geared towards uh, getting the right grades, getting into the right college, getting a great job. They don't really know how to live. And so what we see the power of influencers today on youth is teaching them how to be, teaching them whether it's how to embrace your own individuality and bring it to the surface and be a real, you know, a, a, their own personality, or how to poach an egg. How 
we end up talking about poaching eggs? I mean, how did we get here? <laughs> this is what I love about Linda, but stay with her. You see a lot of instructional how to put on blush. It's a lot of how-to in its own, in a new form, not in the, you know, cooking show kind of form, but really like uh, the audience is really taking their cues from the semiotics. So this part is important. It's part of what Linda describes as the power of disintermediation. You have um, this perception of a one-to-one relationship with the influencer. You follow them, they show you how they do things in their life, and unlike TV, you can interact with them, ask them questions, comment on their posts, and of course, they can respond. And they can guide you, influence you. There's nobody in between that relationship, no network or record label or movie studio. The thing that's really interesting about influencers is it is aspirational, but it's also peer aspirational. The power's not in the influencer. The power's in the fan. The power is in the fan. But so much of it is fake. It's staged. It's curated. It is curated. I would argue it's not fake. Look, curation is a new spin on an old idea. There's this um, seminal research Uh, that was written in the 1980s called Possible Cells. It's actually from the world of psychology, not from marketing. And it's an important work for marketers because it defines the essence of what's behind a lifestyle brand. In a nutshell, the authors argue that in our heads, we have different perceptions of who we are. Some of those perceptions are locked in the past. Some live in the present. But most, and probably some of the most powerful of the perceptions that we have of ourselves are the ones that are linked to our imagination, to our dreams, to our possibilities of what we might be in the future. You know, the last line of the paper kind of says it all. The study of possible selves can provide an effective bridge between motivation and cognition. And I get that. But I don't buy the explanation for some of the curated images that I see on social media. Sure. Yeah. I mean, some people post what they post to show off. They humble brag. They satisfy their ego. But some of these less than real posts are putting forward an image of the life that the poster wants to accomplish. And this is where influencers come in. It's also where they took some heat as a result of the Fire Festival. Many in the media asked if they were not in some way complicit in the fraud. What do you think about that? I actually have been through this experience. I work as an actor and I do a lot of commercial campaigns. And I did the Volkswagen Jetta TDI clean diesel campaign. And that was one that about two years after that commercial aired, was the one that ended up in hot water because it was fraudulent and they said it got a certain mileage that it didn't get and they knew that and they lied. But nobody ever came back to me and said, hey, you're the girl who was driving in that car they advertised and said it was my responsibility. Because everyone can distinguish the fact that I was an actor, I was hired for that job, but I had also been given fraudulent information. But, you know, the only part that gets a little different is these social media influencers are putting things out on their feeds and promoting it as well. But I don't think that most fans blame them. And Linda says that she really does understand that they were brought in to promote it, not necessarily create it. Well, I think that what we saw was that the influencers, the Kendall Jenners, the Gigi Hadids, etc., were essentially also victims of fraud, right? And so they're okay because it's clear that they were not in on that. Uh, Their fans support them. They felt sorry for them. But I think what the learning is, is that relationship between the influencer and the fans is the most important dynamic and that trust. And so what it means is that it's going to be increasingly incumbent upon influencers to 
really do their due diligence when they make these kinds of deals. Now, look, influencers in general are very selective. Uh, and that's one of the reasons they've been successful, right? They only embrace brands that they're already using or brands they really believe in. They're not, quote unquote, endorsement deals. They are really speaking from a place of conviction. So just to give you a sense of the fan protection on these influencers. So Bella Hadid issued an apology to her followers. It was really lengthy. So she wrote this statement and then, you know, screenshotted it. Apparently, the screenshot of her phone showed that she had battery life of about 2%. And what I love about this is so many of the fans commented, and what they commented about wasn't about the fire Festival and whether or not she was really to blame, but more their anxiety that she was down to 2%. I mean, one fan actually <laughs> said, good on you for posting this at 2%. That's commitment. <laughs> That's like responding to your cell phone dying, like you are ill, like you have poor health. I'm so sorry. You're so brave. It Thank you for posting this. It makes me nervous just thinking about it. Right. <laughs> so, uh, by the way, there's another lesson in here for marketers. Uh, you better be able to live up to the hype that you create by working with an influencer. That was a fundamental problem with this little debacle. The ad was amazing. Big, big promise. The experience, it was absent without leave. And that was a part of the conversation with Nico that I really liked. He understood that. And I think he makes a good case for your stump speech about brands living up to their promises. Experience over expectations. Yes. And thanks for the plug. <laughs> uh, Billy McFarland, however, did not get the memo on how you create brand value. I think it's emblematic of a lot of stuff that, and that's something that, that, that I mentioned in the teaser is like, this stands for a lot that's very important, not only in America's culture right now, but I feel like in the world's culture where it's just, it's important, um, to look at what are we saying when execution when when we can say things like that oh it's just execution where it failed oh it's okay you know billy you did an all right job you know this young 25 26 year old rich guy who just decided like he was going to do this in this way um i mean rolling stone wrote an article and one of their quotes was that they, someone brought up real problems in, with the production of the festivals. Like, hey, look, we don't have enough toilets. We don't have this or that. It's looking like we're at a point where we might need to push this. And he apparently raised a glass of champagne and like, F it, let's do it and I'll be legends. F it, let's do it. Let's all be legends. Uh, I mean, if anything sounds more Pablo Escobar than that quote, yes. Okay, I want to come back to something earlier in the story. Nico intercepted people as they came off the plane from the festival, which is amazing. So smart. And he saw the story potential. He grabbed a camera kit and he went to the airport and he found victims by targeting the social media hashtags. What was most fascinating to me was they were still pumped about the DMs and they were still pumped about no. the likes. They were still pumped. I mean, they didn't care what happened. It was just like, I got so many... You know, you look how many DMs I have. I still wonder if this thing failed because it created such a big splash and everybody knows what it is. Even though it failed, a lot of the victims were satisfied in a weird way. They wanted likes, they wanted attention, they wanted people to look at them and say, what a cool life you have. But it just happened in a different way than they expected. Instead of it being a fantastic life that they were envying, they were watching a total nightmare and saying, oh my God, what a terrible thing. Oh my gosh, tell me everything about it. And then follow, 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 like, like, like. Yeah, I mean, I hate to say it, but I feel like it's kind of a reflection of the Trump era, right? Something that we would have all agreed was a media nightmare in the past now becomes social media currency. You know, Nico's right when he asks, did this thing really fail? Even though he's been indicted on multiple counts of fraud to which he has pled not guilty, Billy McFarlane had the gall to suggest a fire 2018. But, you know, there also were a lot of people who did not go 
who could not stop talking about this thing. And <laughs> Fire Festival may be one of the great recent cases of the joy of schadenfreude. Here's comedian Ron Funches appearing on Conan shortly after everything went down. Now, do you feel bad for the people that did spend money and go to this? <laughs> let me guess. Let me guess the answer. You don't feel too bad about it. I do not. If you had thousands of dollars to go on a trip to see Blink-182... Uh, <laughs> That's on you. That is Darwinism at its finest. (laughs) (laughs) So there are so many strange elements to unpack in this one. Um, So much to parse. You have people who were legitimately duped by a killer ad, but those same victims feeling hesitant to blame the folks uh, who helped lure them there. You have this group of influencers who are regretful and scratching their heads about what just happened. And then you have people in the outside world who Christmas came early. This almost felt like it was a story ripped from the onion. I mean, we live in a time where every headline feels like it's written by the onion. Uh, I feel like there's a moral. (laughs) I haven't found it yet. I still find the whole fire festival issue story debacle just so delicious. It's so terrible. So I I can't figure out the moral exactly yet. Uh, Delicious is a good way to put it. But it, it is a case study though, in understanding a pretty powerful new force in marketing. And when we come back from the break, we're going to delve into another aspect of that. Stick around for more of the Findings Report. Hey guys, this is Larry, and I want to say a few words about a cause I care a lot about, Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation. ALSF is on a mission to end cancer for all children. It has raised over $170 million to fund more than 700 research projects that seek more effective and less toxic treatments for kids fighting cancer. But more can be done, and you can help. Become a member of our One Cup at a Time program and make a monthly contribution in any amount. You can find more info by going to alexislemonade.org. And thanks. Hey, it's Molly here. I have volunteered with the Art of Elysium for years doing improv for kids in the hospital. And this organization brings arts programs to children's hospitals, homeless shelters, special education schools, because they believe art heals. $25 covers the cost of an art kit, and you can donate at theartofelysium.org. Give the gift of art. Hey, I'm Larry Vincent. And I'm Molly Schreiber. And we're back with this story about the Fire Festival, this crazy, overhyped concert that was supposed to happen on an island in the Bahamas, but massively, massively failed. Except it's not really a story about the Fire Festival. It's really about the power that drew people to the Fire Festival, the power of social media and social media influencers. Everything you just said in that last sentence would have been completely meaningless 10 years ago. True. There's an aspect of the story that we kind of glossed over in the first half, but I think we got to come back to it. And that's this divide between perception and reality. We've been hearing excerpts from our interview with Nico Quinones, the filmmaker doing a documentary called Under the Influence, which features Fire Festival as its backdrop. And this too good to be true aspect really troubled Nico and it really troubled me. And so I think that's what draws people to, to a level um, and to this experience that we almost know in our hearts is fake. We know that that's not going to be something that, like, this does not seem realistic, but we'll go for it. Like, we'll jump. It's like, hey, that's too big of a gap for me to clear, but I'm going to jump. We addressed this question a little in the first half of the program in terms of people projecting a staged reality versus a real reality. 
But I think Nico asks a different sort of question on this. Not so much why do we do it, but more why do people buy it? Why are we okay with being duped? Like why, or, or what are we okay with about that? Um, right. About, hey, we're being sold something. This is not, or this isn't a genuine picture. These two people don't actually love each other. This person doesn't actually, isn't actually a great parent, but it looks like they are on, on in this image. Yeah. That's scary to, to be a part of a culture that's all right with that or moving towards that or um, that's something that and then also it has a neg- another darker effect where we're inclined to say that when it's not when it is a genuine image or it is a genuine smile or it is genuine a genuine happy family we're t- we have a tendency to say like no way okay so I'm on both sides of this I work as an actor I understand that the world is PR it's strategy it's curated And I'm also a human. And there are other times where I see the right image from the right person reflected in the right way. And I actually do connect to it. Like Chrissy Teigen. I believe her posts are genuine. I like her. Everything she says. I'm like, girl, you're so real. And I feel like we'd be friends. To me, that's the sticky wicket. Did you just, was that a cricket reference? Did we just go cricket? Yes, it was. (laughs) Who are you? (laughs) Look, the sticky wicket is the fact that we're willing to project our own fictions And we also realize that influencers do it too. We become really good at parsing these contradictions. Although for some, it can lead to a digital form of substance abuse. The line becomes a little blurry. And maybe we like life online more than we like life IRL. Yeah, and and I get that. I mean, that's why The Sims were huge. Mm -hmm. Everybody got into that. And now there's a lot of people who prefer social media than real life. It looks better. It's cleaner. It's shinier. You seem more impressive. Yep. I I really agree with Nico um, that social media is reshaping the cultural landscape. The, you know, this willing suspension of disbelief that we now feel, that's part of a trend that I think marketers have to see as being very important to understand. Here's Linda for a little more perspective. One thing about millennials that on the older end are at like 34 now, right? But what they've been doing for the past 10 years and really paved the way for a lot of youth is demonstrating that you could remake the world in your own ideals and your own values and your own image. For them to be ones who are saying, you know what? Whatever came before and whatever was successful before, I don't need to learn from that. I can just make it up and create something that works for the way I see the world. That sounds 100% delusional. With that logic, I believe that I am the president and I believe that Channing Tatum is my husband. Uh, it's maybe not that extreme. It's, it's, the, it's the possible selves argument that we talked about before. But that same door can open us up to being gullible. We start to believe something that is too good to be true because anything is possible, right? Time is our time, our world. Let's say I'm creating a business. I'm I'm managing a business. So how do I use all this stuff? I, I can't hire Bella Hadid, so what do I do? Okay, actually, there are some practical takeaways. First, I wish more brands learned to connect with their consumers the way that these influencers connect with them. Linda touched on this. The model for the consumer brand relationship is human relationships, personal relationships. How do you talk to a friend? How do you talk to a colleague? Don't talk down. See, that's the power of the influencer. They don't talk down. In fact, check out how Taylor Swift engages with her fans on Tumblr. The New York Times just ran a story on this. She speaks <laughs> to them by name. She, she actually gets their names as if they were in a room together sharing confidences. So that's the first thing. Second, if you're a marketer, you might want to consider how you make your customers feel like they are getting closer to their possible self. In the first half of the program, we talked about how influencers show their audiences how to think about life. The other thing that's really interesting 
that we've seen is that, you know, the first 50, 100 years of advertising were all predicated, especially to women, were all predicated on the model of teaching you how to live. You needed to have whiter whites. You needed, oh, you got bad breath. You didn't know that you had gingivitis. You know, teaching you in many cases, making consumers and women a lot feel bad about themselves, and then they'd have to buy the product to remedy that that gap. Now what you see is the the emergent brands and the leading brands are um, really connecting with culture in ways where they're teaching people how to think. So is this, you know, should you buy something that's good for the environment? Should you buy something that gives back to people that are in need? Uh, asking people to make more considered decisions. And look, we've been doing this for the past 10 or 15 years with organic food. Right, and I mean, there's very few people who don't at least consider uh, when they go to the grocery store, am I going to buy the organic banana or the regular banana or the green cleaning product or the not green cleaning product? Linda can read my mind. Okay, I have had that banana debate, the Sophie's Choice, like a hundred times. Organic, not organic. It's a banana. It's a banana. My goodness, that is a whole episode that we may have to revisit. <laughs> but there's here's another takeaway: What got all those people to take the leap of faith on fire? Why did they believe? It wasn't just the reach of the influencers, meaning, you know, how many followers. It was something else. Again, I would say don't just look at the number of followers. Look at the the quality of the engagement. Engagement. I have heard that buzzword like 30 times this month. We're all sick of it. Because there are so many definitions of what it means, I asked Linda to define it for us. So engagement, I think, has meant, has been sort of a fuzzy metric, right, to say maybe they clicked. Right. But now we're looking at extreme participation, which is how can I inform either the it's not about the outcome anymore. It's about how can I inform the process? And perhaps the best takeaway came from Nico gets back at being authentic and making sure you actually have a great experience to deliver. Here's what I'm truly hoping. And there's an, and more, maybe it's more idealistic than me. Maybe it's a young me or something. But I really hope that it swings back towards because we have so much crap out there. It's like so much content just being poured out there and we're intaking so much of it that we would make a return to quality. That we would say, hey, I want to see commercials that actually are help, heartfelt. Or I want to see a brand that actually does have something important to say. Or I want to see a person that has something important to say. Or I want to see a movie that's good. Um, I think though that's where I hope it goes. Optimism. A millennial that's optimistic. Yes, I am with you, Nico. I completely agree with that. I hope that happens. Well, you know, I'm a Gen Xer, so we're naturally skeptical. <laughs> that's a whole new episode we have coming down the pipe. In the next episode of The Findings Report... You'll find plenty of comedy in sales and marketing, but not much fright. That's despite the fact that consumers spend a lot of time and money in search of a good scare. In the next episode of The Findings Report, researcher Leah Dunn reveals how fear can bring consumers closer to brands. And producer Matt Kaplan breaks down a trend that has audiences flocking to theaters and live experiences everywhere. All in the next episode of The Findings Report. Special thanks to our guests, Nico Quinones and Linda Ong. You can learn more about them and find links to their work, including the teaser trailer for Nico's documentary film, Under the Influence, on our website at findingsreport.com. And you can keep up with us when we're not streaming to you by following the show on Twitter at Findings Report. You can follow me at L. Vincent. And me at Mo Shrive. And a reminder, subscribe to the show's podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you go for your favorite podcast. You might also like to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, which delivers fresh insights to your inbox every week. You can subscribe at findingsreport.com and it's completely free. And thanks to our crew behind the scenes, Amanda White and Lydia Ward, who help us pull each show together. 
For the Findings Report, I'm Molly Schreiber. And I'm Larry Vincent. We'll be back soon with another episode.